Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. This week we have LC Hoddle at LC underscore Hoddle2 on Twitter. We talk privacy, processing plants, homesteading, tradition, family, everything you should be listening to right now. Let's get started. And how many months has it been now? About three months, maybe, I guess, two months. Probably, like and it's got to be more than that because I think we recorded for the first time in October. I was in Florida. Yeah, that's right. You were on vacation in Florida. Um, you know, and I, I've been traveling around so much and I'm, I've been really, <clears throat> excuse me, stuck on, you know, when do I get into that entry point of the privacy that I need to really start taking ownership of? So, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about today was how do you approach it? How do you start it? And, you know, where do you get your, basically your, your desire to have that privacy and how can you put value into that desire of saying, I need to change in a way that I've never done as far as privacy in my life, because you do it very well. You want to kind of just lead into that and how you started looking into what you're going to do moving forward with your podcast. And like you said, Citadel Dispatch, you know, talk about them a little bit. I was reading them yesterday. So I think a big shift in perspective came from me when I heard somebody say that privacy is someone's right to selectively reveal yourself to the world, right? Like it's not necessarily, uh, I think privacy gets a bad rap. Whereas people assume that privacy means you have something to hide. Um, I don't see it that way. I see it as privacy should come first and I should be allowed to reveal what I want about myself to the world at large. Um, now, you know, from being in tech that that's not how tech works. Tech is absolutely everything about yourself is out in the open. And then as you start to realize that privacy is an important thing, it's kind of this weird backstep of like trying to clean up the mess you've made of your privacy. Um, you know, and we've been, as a culture, we've been like drawn into it, right? Things like, you know, it started with things like MySpace and then Facebook. It was just this very, you know, commercial push to like, you know, put a million pictures of yourself out there, let people know, you know, take pictures of your dinner and let everybody know what you're doing and where you're going. And, you know, that always seemed off to me. Uh, you know, the, the background that I come from, we were very much, even though we lived in a small town. You know, my pops would always, you, you leave a light on in the house when you leave because you don't want people to know that your house is empty. <laughs> you know, it, somehow we've gone from that to this culture where people literally go online and say, you know, hey, I'm not home and my house is empty. Please stop by. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm here and you're just taking pictures wherever you are. And, 
you know, I'm not at home. Please go to my house and take my things. So it's like, it's this weird dynamic that we've gotten into where not only do we think we need to tell the world at large what we're doing, but we think that it's a good idea to let people, you know, to essentially track ourselves for the rest of the world. That's a good point. It's a form of, you know, we talk about surveillance, exposure, everything. You know, is people are people that listen to this podcast know about privacy. They know about data and everything. But there, there's going to be people that probably don't understand the full um, capability of everything that they're doing as far as their actions, their behaviors, their communications, their inputs, their outputs with the world, with the device that they have in their hands. And you know, you, you talked about you know, people taking pictures or saying, hey, you know, my home's empty. You you see a lot of penetration of that privacy. Like I had a friend, he has a Airbnb. They totally, everything that they had built up, everything they got, everything got ripped out, stolen, you know, just, you know, people, people, once you expose yourself into this environment now, you are exposed in ways that you're not going to understand. I hear people all the time, well, I have nothing to hide. Well, that that is definitely not the point in the long run. In the exposure that you're allowing the world to see about yourself, it, it, you're seeing it one way or they're going to use it a different way. And that's why, why do people feel the desire to basically expose themselves 100%? Where does that come from? And that's a, that's a dangerous place that we've gone from as far as the beginning of tech. I've seen the evolution of it in 19, I, I can't remember I think it was 2001. Actually, I was uh, I was cited to do a, a report and a research paper on the division of interpersonal communication, and you know what what does that mean? Well, people their their um, contact with the outside world is not going to be face to face anymore. It's going to be through the di- digital avatars, everything like that. You know, young kids will not be able to have a conversation with each other. They'll text each other. They'll chat with each other. So many things that were predicted has come to fruition in ways that what we have to do within privacy, let's start over with the privacy. Let's get back to understanding what it means. And you and I talk about all the time, we used to leave the lights on, the, you know, how how uh, society treated their privacy, uh, how they were able to welcome people with trust into their lives. Well, the times have changed. Yeah, and I think, you know, some people, how do I say this? So the more you learn about big tech and, um, you know, big tech and big brother, I guess, the more it should be, you know, the assumption should be that every person you come into contact with is a bad actor until you have reason to believe otherwise, right? There there should be, you don't know, especially in the land of, you know, NIMS and, you know, people that I have fantastically deep relationships with don't even know what my face looks like. (laughs) So to, you can't come at it from a place of running into somebody at a bar or, you know, meeting somebody at work and building that friendship. It, it needs to be a different dynamic when we have this culture that is based around, you know, meeting people through a non-personal platform. 
And, you know, uh, Matt Odell from Citadel Dispatch talks about it all the time that, you know, everybody is a bad actor until they prove otherwise. And, you know, nothing, you should assume that everything you touch is compromised. And, you know, it, it sounds crazy when people are still, you know, unplugging from like the masses, right? When you're, when you're still under that mass delusion of, you know, the government wants what's best for you. And, you know, big tech is really just offering tools and things for you to use. Uh, you know, the, the best or the simplest idea is that if something is free, you are the product. So, you, you know, you look at all these social media platforms and you're not paying to be on there. So they're collecting your data. So everything you do should be based off of trying to limit that as much as possible. And, uh, you know, I, I have been blessed to like come into the position that I'm in, um, like in, in the Bitcoin space where, you know, I've met all these people who, uh, you know, I knew them as normal guys, just, you know, kind of chopping it up in group chats and then come to find out these guys are, you know, in heavily involved in the, in the privacy space. And, you know, it's, I've gotten the opportunity to learn from people who were here before me and have kind of blazed this trail. And, uh, like, it's really interesting. You know, I got into, um, mobile privacy. Uh, and I know you're, you're good friends with, uh, Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I got into mobile privacy and I was, it was, she was suggested to me as the person to reach out to. And, uh, like even that, I would, you know, I was, I was really good about, or I was semi good about privacy up to that point. And then you talk to somebody about a subject like that and it just blows your mind. And you're like, wow, like every single thing that I touch on this device in my pocket is stealing from me. Essentially it's stealing my privacy away slowly, little by little, right? My phone is, I, I saw it big time with the phone that I got, right? I bought a, a Google pixel phone um, and noticed going from the operating system that it came with out of the box, I would get about a, a day of battery life out of it. And I flashed over to uh, Calyx and I get about two and a half days battery time out of it. That was very shocking to me. Uh, and I asked um, Max Tannehill why that is. And, uh, he was like, yeah, your phone out of the box is sending data packets nonstop back to Google to tell Google what your phone is doing, how long you're on a page, what you're clicking, what apps you're using, where you are, uh, what Wi-Fi systems you're hooking up to, you know, it's constantly pinging your location out to Google. It's sending Google all this information that it's not telling you that it's sending. Uh, and it, you know, I had heard that before, but it really hit home when you see something tangible like the battery life on your phone. It's simple, but it's tangible, right? A day to two and a half days. That's a lot of computing power that my phone is using to do things that I'm not telling my phone to do. And it was one of the old timers when I was getting into uh, like sovereign computing. Um, it was one of the old timers that said to me, you know, if, if your computer is not doing exactly what you tell it to do and nothing else, you don't own that computer, that box or whoever controls that box owns you. 
And that like that blew my mind. It's so simple, but it's so true. Right. It's I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, getting into Linux and a lot of people are uh, intimidated by Linux. Right. You hear Linux, you think all these crazy things. Uh, But I'll tell you right now that you can flash a Linux operating system out of the box and I can be on the Internet from power up button. I can be on the Internet before you on Windows 11 because I don't have 37 updates. I don't have my Google Cloud needs to be synced. My firewalls, all these pop ups and all these things that Microsoft is doing to me that I don't really know what they're doing to me. Right. Because all I want to do is push the button and get on the Internet. But what's happening is they're establishing all these connections and all this stuff because they want to know exactly what you're doing and where you're going. They're storing all of that data. You know, and you're probably way more qualified to talk on this, this subject than I am, but that's my simple understanding of it is if I can limit the amount of data that is collected on me, that seems like a, a net positive to me. And right now you, you bring up Linux and I'm, I'm diving back into Linux. I was, you know, when it, it's been around for a long, long time. And I don't think people understand it's come a long ways as well. And you're right. I mean, anybody in Bitcoin, I've got a device right now that I'm switching over to Linux. I am in that process. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, like I said before, we're going to have this conversation. And it's, it's, it's time right now because what we've gone through within our data it's, you know, you said it's, it's very simple. It's very, uh, you know, your box controls you. And it's so true. And it's almost played out that it's been talking about it for years. Well, we're here at this point in time to where you are the product and there are steps to pursue your privacy in a way that you don't understand that do not have to be difficult. And you don't have to be a technology wizard anymore. One thing that I see being in Bitcoin Twitter that is a value for value add is the amount of very useful intelligence to help change your life. And it's some of the best education you can find. And it starts with these relationships. You and I, we just came across each other, like you said. Lily and I just came across each other, like you said. You know, the the amount of knowledge that she's given to me, I can't even catch up yet. You know, there's people out here that that are willing to help. They're willing to help you maintain your privacy. And even if it's not something that you're overly worried about or anything like that, it's not that big of an impact on your life as you see it, you know, your daily kind of spirit, your daily actions, your daily, you know, planning for your family, for your individual self, it's okay to pursue privacy. It's it's something that is a defense mechanism against bad actors that you do not understand and you will never see. You will never even know that they're there. And one of these days, those bad actors are just going to be the technology itself. And there's not even going to be anybody looking at that or monitoring it. It's just going to perform what it does. We're already there, but, you know, it, 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 it will progress, especially what we just did with the with the track and trace that they've uh, created within the vaccination and with the, the COVID. You know, it was always about getting people captured in ways that they don't understand. And, and we're, we're about to kick off mainstream. And this year, as I said, the marketing plans are being devised. They're being released today. Some, today is Sunday and Wall Street Journal. They're, they're really they're moving forward here. 
if anybody is not pursuing their personal privacy right now, you're going to you're going to wish you did. Just you know, as stacking with these dips, there's there's things you can do. If I am Elsie, if I'm somebody out there today that's listening to you and I, where would you start right now? Because you you kind of put it all together, and I want to start framing you as somebody that can everybody can go to kind of follow you've created a narrative you're living it everything that you're doing is proof of work and that's where a lot of my respect comes you know directed towards you is that you know i've watched you and you're getting to a place because you're a family man you come from blue collar you're there's nothing special about you except that you're special so give us an entry point let us know how your your uh you know privacy to your mining do that transformation of like, what is your thinking behind it and how do you rationalize it and how do you plan for it? So, I mean, I guess I'll, we'll start with Bitcoin, right? Sure. My, my view on, uh, and I mean, to address the elephant in the room, right? My view on doing things, no KYC, right? Uh, KYC is know your customer. Um, essentially the, the boiled down version of that is when you go to buy something, they want all your information, right? They want your social, they want a government ID. Um, they want to frame it in a way that tells you that this is to prevent fraud. Uh, the reality is it's a way to track what you're doing. Um, now, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great buzz tweet to say things like uh, Bitcoin's uncensorable and um, you know, all these great things. And, you know, to a degree it is, but at the same time, the thing that makes Bitcoin great is Bitcoin is a public ledger. Everything you do <laughs> is being watched in real time on a transparent base layer. So they don't have to, you know, everybody likes to say things like, oh, they can't shut down Bitcoin. It's not like they can go, you know, shut down the servers or arrest the CEO. Absolutely. But that being said, um, you know, if you have this asset in a place that is not controlled by you, first of all, they can <laughs> they can lock you out of your wealth the same way they can lock you out of your wealth in the fiat system. So you're not changing anything besides, you know, in my opinion, KYC Bitcoin sitting on an exchange is fiat money with a dress on. Because all they have to do is call that exchange. If you think Brian Armstrong at Coinbase is going to stand up for your rights, you are wrong. You are 100% wrong. If they knock on his door and tell you they're going to seize his Maserati in his house, if he doesn't give up your information, guess where you're going? He's not giving up shit for you. So it's, you know, it's a big thing in the Bitcoin space, right? Personal responsibility. And I fully believe the way to take true personal responsibility for your wealth is to acquire that wealth in a way that doesn't require you to exchange your information in order to get it. Um, now that the easiest, simplest way for somebody to do that, who's not necessarily technically inclined is Bitcoin ATMs. They're everywhere. You can go to a Bitcoin ATM, you can buy Bitcoin, you can move it from that ATM 
to a wallet you control without having to give up, you know, government information. Um, that's a great first step. Uh, I'm big. I'm a big advocate for home mining. Um, you know, I think mining is very important. Uh, you know, I'm of the mindset that in the not so distant future, it may be uh, one of the only ways to actually acquire Bitcoin. Um, especially with the th <laughs> this is going to come off as abrasive, but uh, <laughs> but um, you know with this is not about adoption people forget that bitcoin bitcoin has gotten this weird spin put on it and especially in like the last year where everybody likes to you know talk about mass adoption mass adoption look at what El salvador is doing yada 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 that's great micro strategy well bitcoin is not about adoption bitcoin is about freedom i don't give a shit if another Fortune 500 company ever buys a single sat, that is not what it is about for me. It is about being able to take possession of my time, right? Because my wealth is, is I exchange my time for value, right? So it's be, being able to take that value and store it somewhere where it can't be taken from me. Because if you think that your time and your money cannot be taken from you in a bank account, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. You know, after the housing crisis, a lot of people don't know. The government wrote into law in either 15 or 16 that if that ever happens again, where the banks need to be bailed out, they don't have to go to the government. They can just take it from your bank account and write you an IOU. So if you think your money's safe, it's not. So the point is to put it somewhere where it can't be messed with. And putting it on an exchange or something like that is the equivalent of having it in a bank account. Why would you do that? You know, there's no way to prove that that Bitcoin is actual Bitcoin until it is in something that you own, right? Because they could just sell you paper. They could just tell you you have Bitcoin. They don't have to prove it. And I think as time goes by and the havings come more and more, you're going to see more and more paper Bitcoin being sold because they're just not going to have it. Right. You're seeing more and more of these big um, public mining companies not even selling the Bitcoin that they're mining. They're collecting money from VCs in order to pay their overhead costs and they're holding on to that Bitcoin. So you need to set yourself up in a position where you can acquire this asset. And I fully believe in the next decade, the only way to acquire this asset is either going to be buying it from somebody who's willing to sell, which I'll be shocked if there's people that are willing to sell in 10 years or producing it yourself. And, you know, mining is the best way to do that or creating a service that people are willing to pay in Bitcoin to get. I think that's a, the way, the way you uh, kind of approach that, I can spell it out in my head. I can see Wells Fargo saying, Hey, here's your Bitcoin account. And you know, here we go. We go to the paper notes. What happened with gold? It was, it's the same thing. I hear a lot of people because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bridging the gap between, you know, our nutrition and Bitcoin and pure animal protein with beef. And there's a lot of people out there that, that don't understand 
non-KYC, KYC, you know, the verdict is still out. Is it legal? Is it illegal? Is it something that, you know, you're avoiding taxes? There's so many different viewpoints here and there's so many different uh, feedback loops concerning it all. Well, that that's part of, you know, like you said, it's not adoption. This is just part of where we're, we're figuring out as we're going. And to be able to kind of start in the beginning with Bitcoin from your perspective of privacy, I think is the only way that we're going to be able to really truly educate anybody that's coming into this space. And, you know, there's, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be, we need to have those disagreements because they create dialogue. Once we have dialogue, we're sitting at a table and we're talking to each other and we're saying, this is, this is what I'm confused about. This is what I need to understand. I'm, I'm going to be running up against this privacy, the, the mining questions or the aspirations of who to be, you know, who, who is going to be that miner in the long run. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to start really building kind of a, a curriculum of education for the farmers and ranchers. That's going to be part of the beef initiative. I'm in some really good talks with uh, several people right now to where we're going to make that a, a, a full um, aspect of the beef initiative platform and the corporation basically that we're forming. And I think it's, it's a good entry point right now, because as we step into 2022, as we step into a new form of surveillance that people didn't realize was basically being planned and now is being enacted, um, we have a very good chance to do some value for value exchange of our viewpoints and that we can kind of pioneer a new understanding of the privacy and of the mining. I can't wait to start educating the ranchers and for them to understand exactly what you just said as far as time. You know, it's okay to secure your time. And this is a way of we've never been able to kind of look at it as far as being, you know, workers in, in human history and everything. It's going to take a little time to have that clarity of leveraging. I was on a podcast the other day and I said, you, you look at a rancher that's been ranching for 40 years. You think he doesn't understand ranching and every little angle that they throw at him. If he gets educated within the Bitcoin ethos, the Bitcoin standard type of thinking and living, you think that rancher is not going to get creative when he fully understands a true um, foundational understanding of what Bitcoin can do for him and where he can actually now place his value of his land or his cow and he can leverage that in a way that's extremely um, powerful and it's legal. And this year is going to be pretty exciting for um, a lot of people, how big are you going to push in your education and how can you, um, how are you going to let everybody know? So you can, you can actually really start changing, uh, some people's perspectives. So, I mean, the thing is for me, uh, I'm very vocal on my stand on everything. Um, yeah, don't go change one of the, <laughs> it's one of the uh, one of the perks to being relatively anonymous. We'll call it sure. Um, 
is that uh, it saves me from blowback, uh, you know, in real life. Uh, I'm a business owner. I live in a small town. Um, you know, I, I had this idea when I first got into Bitcoin that I was going to talk to people that I knew in real life um, and, you know, people from my town and try to like, before I really had the information that I needed to do so, you know, I, I had a buddy who owned some houses that were vacant. I'm like, listen, we'll put some miners in them. We'll mine some Bitcoin. He's like, what the fuck is a Bitcoin? <laughs> so <laughs> that's for anybody who doesn't think we're early. Um, so, you know, and I kind of got that look like, you know, what the fuck are you talking about? So as I said, I'm very open about what I, what I believe in the way I see things. Um, you know, and I may come off as an abrasive person, but at the same time, you can ask anybody who's ever reached out to me, you know, my DMS are open on Twitter. Uh, I'm on telegram at LC underscore hodl. So, you know, I, there's never been a person that's ever reached out to me that I wasn't willing to take time to help, you know, on a average weeknight, I've had people who have much larger followings. Um, it's actually funny and I, you know, I'm not going to call anybody out, but I've had people with much larger followings who in something like Twitter spaces sound like they know everything there is to know about Bitcoin, call me up on a Wednesday night and have me walk them through how to hook their miner up to a, to a mining pool. So, you know, I'm happy to take the time to help somebody further themselves in Bitcoin. Uh, I don't say that to say, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't know. Um, I, I come from a place where I fully believe that the value in your life is in, exponentially increased by the connections you make and the people you know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty handy guy, right, to take it back to something real tangible in life. I'm a really handy guy. I can do just about anything that needs to be done from ground up building a house, right? At the same time, I have some really good friends who are licensed plumbers, licensed electricians. You know, I have really good friends who can do things that I don't know how to do, right? So I know some things about mining and I know some things about personal privacy and mobile privacy and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm really good friends with the guys who really know. So when somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, you know, what's the issue with this uh, mixing service versus this mixing service when you're talking about mixing, uh, you know, coin join, right? To, uh, to obfuscate your on, your on chain privacy. Um, I can say that I understand it enough to know the direction that I endorse, but at the same time, there's nothing constructive to be built. Like you said, right? Sitting down at a table and having a conversation, there's nothing constructive to be built from me saying, uh, just because, Right. I have somebody that I can reach out to and say, hey, somebody's asking me, can you give me some sources on some actual information on why this is right? I know that it's right. Right. I've read these things and I know that's right, but I'm not an expert. So I reach out to the people that are experts in that area and they'll give me a bunch of resources and I can take those resources in turn and share them with people and say, hey, look, you know, memes are funny. Right. Uh, I post a lot of memes and it's funny to like post memes and there's, there's truth in these things. But at the same time. If somebody comes to me and has a genuine question, I can say, look, here's a resource, here's a resource, here's a resource, here's a resource. Read it yourself. Don't take my word. For it. Don't take anybody else's word for it. 
read from multiple sources and come to your own conclusion because that's how you get conviction, right? Conviction comes from understanding and really feeling like you have all the available information to draw your own conclusion. And the only way to do that is to surround yourself with people who are more knowledgeable than you in whatever area it may be, right? I'm in, I'm in group chats with guys that know things about mining that I will probably never know, but I have them, right? I, uh, Nick from Kaboom Racks. I don't know if you know what Kaboom Racks is. They're, they're a, a miner broker in North America. Um, Nick from Kaboom Racks has turned out to be a great friend of mine and I have his actual number in my phone and I call him and just bullshit with him on a Wednesday night. But you know, I, I've been on the phone with that guy and somebody will call him and be like, Hey, this is such and such a problem. And he'll be like, Oh yeah, go through the warehouse and minor such and such. will have such and such a wire that, you know, it crosses platforms between the two just off the top of his head. Like those are the people that I need in my life the same way when it comes to things like beef and animal protein, I can reach out to somebody like you, like I did a month and a half ago. And I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to buy a Scottish Highlander. What do you think? And you were able to send me some information and be like, here's the information that I have available to me. That is incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. So it's, for me, it's all about leaving myself open so that people can come to me and ask, right? Because nobody's going to learn anything that they aren't willing and eager to learn. Right. You can try to beat something into somebody, but unless they come to you and want to learn about it, they're not hearing you. That's, that's my take on it. So leaving myself open so people can reach out to me and being able to introduce them to other folks who can give them the information that I, I may not have if they ask me a question that I can't answer. Um, you know, that's a piece of humility that is vastly important in a community such as ours. Uh, that I don't think you see a lot enough of. I think there's a lot of people out there that like to feel like they're, you know, I know everything about everything. And, uh, you know, those are the people that I steer away from. And I highly suggest other people steer away from people like that because nobody knows everything. It's, it's, you need to have other sources in your life. You can't be your only source on everything. Um, even when you've educated yourself on a topic, you should still have somebody who's been doing it longer and has more experience in that particular field to be able to go to them when you think you have the answer and bounce your answer off of them and say, where are the holes in my theory here? Like, I have a theory of how this should work. What are the holes in it? Explain to me what you see, what's wrong, right? I've had people come to me with articles that they've written for big outlets and be like, hey, can you read this over? Because I think it might be off. And be able to like give them feedback and be like, hey, yeah, this, this, and this. I've just so happened to be in a room with people where they're having a discussion about this and this, this, and this are off. Maybe move this around. And like that is what makes us grow and makes us greater as a community is being able to come together and being able to be like, hey, you know, this person has some good information. This person has some good information you know, maybe we should all get together and like talk about it. The whole just getting in somewhere to scream at each other about things is so anti-productive. It's so ass backwards. And, you know, a lot of people mistake things they see on, on Twitter specifically. It's like, this isn't real life, dude. Like we're just, people are just shit posting. Like <laughs> I'm here, I'm here to get you riled up to laugh at you because you're riled up. Like the, uh, 
this isn't a serious, if you want to have a serious conversation, we can have a serious conversation, but if I'm making memes about you or your point of view, I'm just laughing at you. Like we're just here to have fun. Like this, this is not, you know, it's a good place to get started, but you know, you should be constantly trying to expand your sources of information and your connections. You know, it's shout out to people like Diverter No KYC, Econo Alchemist, uh, Nick from Kaboom Racks, Like Whoa, uh, BTC Zelko, you know, all these people, Max Tannehill, Lily, all these people have taken time to educate me. It, you know, I'm always humbled when somebody like that takes the time to even have a conversation with me. Completely. You, especially. Somebody just sits down and takes the time to have a conversation with me and be like, hey, you know, and share a little of their knowledge with me. That knowledge is priceless. Priceless. You can buy all the books you want and have them on a shelf. But unless you retain that information, it, that stuff is priceless. And you're never going to know everything. So it's important to have other people in your network that, you know, I, I, I've always been an advocate of jack of all trades, master of none. So, yes, <laughs> you know, I, I like to know a little bit about everything, but it's important to have the experts in those particular fields, you know, in my circle. Well, I, in, in, you know, I wasn't on social media at all. The only reason I got on Twitter is because I, I, I kind of came there, you know, looking for, you know, more education on Bitcoin and I instantly found it. It was pretty quick and it's been invaluable for me. I mean, just the community itself. I mean, everything that I've done has been extremely supportive. I haven't had a lot of problems. I've had a lot of community and a lot of uh, praise and a lot of feedback and a lot of input and a lot of output. And Anybody out there that, you know, as far as the abrasiveness of Twitter, Bitcoin, Twitter, it, it's required. Uh, you have to. It's a defense that is offensive to people. And that's just how it's going to be because, you know, we can't be so fragile anymore. And I refuse to be fragile. And, you know, I come at my stance pretty. I'm going to come with it pretty, pretty hard because I have to. Because one thing, I know it's the truth and it's invaluable as far as the networking and, and helping people out, you, you made me, uh, I just re remembered something that happened this week as far as being able to be okay with reaching out and asking for help. Here locally, um, there was a young, there's a young man, he's, he's like 17 years old. His name is Isaac. And he had found out that I'd been writing a little bit. And I said, yeah, go check it out. It's about food because he works out. He wants protein. You know, he, was, he, he wants to get his life pointed out. And this is this is a very positive story about a young man in the United States of America living in our times, looking for direction and trying to understand the world that he lives in. Well, he came to me and we had a conversation. And so I kind of gave him some education on, on food intelligence and he started making some changes. And, uh, you know, a month or so later, he came up because you've changed my life. And I said, well, <laughs> shocked, humbled, you know, everything at the same time. But he went into a story about, you know, who he was and where he's come from and what he's going to do in life. And I said, you know what? I said, you need to, you need to contact my local uh, producer, which is Justin. And, 
Justin passed his inspection for his processing center here in the state of Texas. So he's a full on producer, uh, processor supplier now, which is awesome. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. I said, go call Justin up. You need to get some beef. And he called him up and Justin invited him out to his abattoir, his new facility. And, you know, he called me later that day and he goes, I met Justin and now I work for Justin. This man, the young man is 17 years old. He's going to learn everything there is about meat processing in the state of Texas. Do you think that that's not going to be the most valuable thing that that 17 year old's ever done in his life? I mean, he's starting at ground zero here and he's being very directed. He's being very intentional. And, you know, he showed some agency and it's all because of this type of networking. I'm bringing Justin into the Bitcoin space. Well, I don't think I've ever known anybody more knowledgeable about food nutrition, production, uh, <laughs> grass farming, soil, um, the anatomy of a cow, the the nutrition that you come from it, how to how to how to create that energy that becomes that nutrition and the transformation that it ends up to be your energy in life and your power in life. He's a pretty smart guy. So people are going to start following him here on Twitter, Tier Bloom, T-I-R-B-L-U-E-N. And once people start understanding that the value of our society right now is this type of networking, not the academic studies that you're doing, the <laughs> We can leave that stuff behind in this present time, especially we need to know what each other knows and we need to establish that relationship to where we have that trust where we're talking on a Sunday morning and we could be doing a lot of other things, but we choose to share knowledge. So we're going to project this vibration out to whoever's listening. Today's going to be a new day for somebody out there. Even if it's just one person, their life is about to change. And we need people to start understanding that, that you need to put your damn foot down and you need to listen to the information that's out there. You need to quit bringing your preconceived assumptions about the space in the times that we're living in when it comes to money, when it becomes to security, when it comes to um, privacy and how you're going to create your family legacy and a personal legacy. I'm seeing it all around just because I went out and tried to figure out the food industry and you're doing it in a way that I believe how your approach is you're, you will be my mentor from here on out. You, Lily, I had Econo Alchemist on as well. I'll be reaching out to everybody that you suggest to me and in you, you know, what was it? Um, somebody found you for, you know, or you found somebody to help you with the podcast, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, a friend of mine, a fellow, a fellow shit poster from, from Bitcoin Twitter, just kind of, uh, you know, I've said it before, like I, I made my podcast, um, you know, my podcast was really birthed from wanting to be able to hear from the average person. Uh, I found uh, in my searches of podcasts in the Bitcoin space, I found it's very easy to find the same dozen people that make their rounds. Uh, and I was very interested to try to find the people that I interacted with on Twitter uh, to hear more about them. And 
why they're into Bitcoin, why they continue to hold Bitcoin on days like today where we're in, you know, a huge correction. These guys have unbelievable conviction. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to listen to people who make the rounds, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I listen to plenty of Michael Saylor podcasts and plenty of whoever else, right? All these big names that make the rounds, uh, which is great from an education standpoint. Um, but there comes a time where you're beginning to self-educate on the Bitcoin topic and you need to make that transition from listening to people in order to become educated to finding something that's relatable, right? I need to listen to somebody talk that I can conceive lives a relatively similar life to me. Uh, That makes it real to me. That makes it a real life application because as good as it is to listen to somebody like Michael Saylor, I can't relate to your $30 million house or, you know, all these things that you have, they're just not relatable for me. You have a lot of good information, but it's, it almost, it's almost out of, out of, not out of touch, but like out of reach. It's like, listen to, a professional sport, uh, a professional athlete, or, you know, a CEO talk about these things is great and it's educational, but it's not something that I can conceive in my mind to apply to my life because they live in such a different world. Um, so my podcast was, was birthed out of getting people on that you can listen to and say, yeah, this guy gets up and puts one shoe on before the other, the same way that I do. It gets up, goes out and works to provide for his family. You know, he takes care of his kids. He goes through the same struggles that I go through. Um, you know, he isn't, he isn't getting up and, uh, you know, calling the nanny to come take care of his kids or, you know, eating dinner with his kids because the nanny takes care of him all day. I can't relate to those people. I can't, I can't relate to going out and buying a Ferrari because it's Tuesday. Uh, it sounds cool. I'd love, I'd love to be able to relate to it. Uh, I'm not one of those people that says I would never want to be rich. Fuck. Yeah. I want to be rich, but you know, I, I need people that, that are on the same level as me. So I created this, this podcast kind of out of that and half as a joke and uh, you know, it got traction and it took off and you know, there was people listening and people reaching out and um, you know, here we are. I just dropped the first episode for season two and uh, like, it's going to be a little different this year. You know, I, I had somebody uh, that I've, you know, built a relationship with on Twitter, reach out and say, you know, if you need any sound engineering done or, or video engineering done, like, let me know. And uh, you know, we've kind of talked and it's like, it's cool. So now I got somebody who's going to like clean this thing up and make it sound nice. And uh, you know, I found the longer I do it and the more people that actively show that they're listening to it, uh, gives me more drive to put out a better quality product. Um, I want, you know, time is the old saying time is money. You know, our time is the most valuable thing. And the fact that people take two or two and a half hours out of their day to listen to me talk to somebody else, you know, it, it should be on me to give them the best quality product I can give them. And it should be an enjoyable listening experience for them. Um, 
So that's really the direction that I'm starting to shift towards. Well, I think that both of us kind of, you know, you and I did, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be a podcaster um, at all, but now I'm really kind of getting my feet underneath me. And it's because of course, the, the help that I'm receiving within the community, you know, car there in Austin, uh, Logan, he's doing my production as far as the audio and the podcast and everything. And they're, you know, they they just wanted to help. And I was like, heck yeah, let's, let's get this thing going. You know, this is, this is where I am. Um, you know, I'll, I'll make it worth your while in the long run. I hope, I hope, hopefully we have some, some success because what we're doing is now, this microphone I'm using, Adam Curry actually gave me a microphone and I was like, man, that's pretty cool. I didn't ask for anything. He just said, you know, you need to, you need to sound better. And so I've had tons of people reaching out to me and saying, any way that you need help, I'm ready to go. I have an inbox in my email saying, you know, I listened to Adam and I heard Adam mention you on Joe Rogan. How can I help you? I believe in what you're doing. And that's what we need to start understanding is it's okay to ask for help. And I'm asking for help. Everything that I'm doing, this is not me. I can't, I can't handle the size that hopefully this gets because, you know, people are interested in, in pure animal protein and they're trying, they want to find it. And that's, you know, my mission is basically get it to, to the, to the children in America and the parents need to make that change as well as individuals. But everything I'm doing right now is to make sure that we're going to save the freaking nutrition of the children in this, in this nation, because it's, it's bankrupt and it's going in the wrong direction and people want to help. And I, you know, I have no problem asking for help whenever I've built that form of trust that this, this, uh, the way we approach our community that we're doing just you and I, you know, every time we've talked, it's been on a Sunday and it's a different vibe and it's a little bit more serious, but you know, I know that going into these conversations is I, I'm going to be talking to LC today. I probably should bring, you know, some forethought and some insight to this conversation I'm being very intentional about my life right now. And what I want everybody else to understand is it's time to get intentional in a new direction instead of intentional of exposing yourself to this world that is trying to box you in and steal your personal space and basically make you more of the product that you don't probably want to admit or that you realize with uh, you and I going, you know, kind of at the same speed, you've been doing the podcast a little bit more longer than I have. Um, I, I wanted to bring it back up. You and Lily and I were supposed to do a podcast. I think we should, I think we're the, to that point where you and I having this conversation today probably leads into that. You want to do that? Yeah, we should do that. I have, uh, Actually, this week coming up, I have Lily and uh, Max Tannehill, who oh, awesome. runs, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name of his company, but it's Mamushi. Definitely not the way you pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> Close, I think. I don't um, know. I, I can't yeah. tell you. <laughs> I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. But okay, uh, basically, cool. he provides he, he provides a service where, um, and him and uh, Diverter, no KYC, works with him too. They provide a service where you can reach out to their company and you can acquire 
uh, a Google Pixel device flashed with an open with a open source software on it um, without having to KYC yourself to something like Google or something like that and just kind of help you really get started on a mobile privacy journey. Um, so I'm having them two on to talk about mobile privacy this week. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, we should definitely do an episode on your podcast where, you know, we get into, I know she's, she's pretty heavily involved with you and the, the beef initiative. And, uh, like, I I would love to have that conversation, um, you know, with you guys. I think it's time. It it is time. It's been months that we've talked about it and it usually just works. I mean, if you just kind of let, let the flow happen and do your slow roll of low time preference. It just comes and we're, we're there now because I'm going to have four and I haven't, I haven't told too many people there's going to be four beef initiative conferences across the United States this year. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring a course education. We're going to have, you know, people speaking. Our first one's going to be in Kerrville on April 23rd, uh, that weekend. And Marty Bent's going to be there speaking. We're going to have Adam Curry there speaking. We're going to have um, Cole Bolton of KNC Cattle representing ranchers. He's also a banker. We're going to have um, security expert. I don't know who's going to be talking about privacy and uh, mining. We're going to have entry points for ranchers to be able to start their journey into Bitcoin and understanding it. So it's going to be a pretty cool approach. We're going to talk regenerative ranching and farming. Uh, We're going to have soil experts there. So we're going to really start bridging the gap of the Bitcoin world into the farming, ranching, decentralized, basically animal protein and produce world so i'm pretty excited about that and if we you and lily and i have that conversation before then i think that'll be a really good lead into these conferences absolutely you know i it's funny you say that because uh there's a p uh a project that i've been working on um that i think is something that's going to make bridging that gap between bitcoin and farming um really makes sense uh for a lot of farmers and you know it's it's being able to take a bitcoin miner and for those who don't know a bitcoin miner produces an immense amount of heat um to be able to take something like a bitcoin miner and not only when you plug this in is this you know, creating value for you just by being plugged in. Right. But then you can turn around and take something like the heat that this machine produces and say, heat a greenhouse with it in the winter. Right. Things like that will make sense to farmers who are, who are currently have a hanging heater that's running on oil or they have whatever they have that's heating their greenhouses. You can turn around and put something in that's going to heat your greenhouse and pay you to heat your greenhouse. I, I, I'm excited. I've been waiting to get to that to this point because this is where we are. I, I know several people that have hot houses, and you know this is going to be the answer for for what they're doing. It's a no brainer. It's just we we got to we just got to get there. What's your how are you going to approach this as far as you know the education? 
Cause you and I had talked about it. I think our first cast together that, you know, we were kind of, kind of put that together, how to leverage that heat that's created with the miners. I mean, my approach to it is the, the way that I approach everything, right. Is, uh, I don't, I don't believe in telling anybody to do anything that I haven't done myself. Um, I'm, I'm a big advocate of me being the test dummy. Um, I would rather test it, have it fail and run three or four versions of it to get it to work before telling somebody else to do it than telling somebody else to do it. And it fails on the first run and they have a bad taste in their mouth about it. Um, so that being said, um, you know, building a proof of concept here on my homestead, uh, I got a, I'm very much a, a, a frugal farmer, uh, where I'm from. I don't know if it's the same way in Texas, but where I'm from, there's an old saying that that goes farming hard, right? And uh, farming hard is is uh, using a piece of garden hose to to patch your fuel line. Uh, farming hard is, you know, somebody has a trailer that they're done with that needs some work because it's broken, and you get that trailer for free and do the welding yourself to make that trailer useful, right? Uh, that's how our you know, our small farm operates. Uh, we don't have a lot of, a lot of capital. We don't have, you know, we're, <laughs> we're very blue collar. And, uh, so I, I acquired a, a greenhouse that's like 10 by 10 from a, a older lady in town. I've been driving by her house for probably five years and it's been sitting there not doing anything with no door on it. And, uh, she was in her driveway and I pulled in and I said, Hey, uh, what are you doing with that greenhouse? And she said, I'm waiting for somebody to take it away. And I said, excellent. I'll be back to get it. <laughs> you know, so I'm taking that and uh, I'm going to mount it to the side of the building. One of the buildings that I have on my property and put a, a miner inside the building and then pipe the heat into the greenhouse. And, uh, you know, I live in New England. It's very cold here in the winter. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm big on going all in. So, uh, you know, my, my proof of concept is going to be seeing if I can grow citrus in New England. Um, if I can take a miner and produce enough heat in a 10 by 10 building, uh, to grow a couple small citrus trees, then I know that something like that can scale to grow something that's meant to grow in a region, right? If I can grow something that does not meant to grow here, uh, then I can, grow something, you know, I can make it so that farmers can see, Hey, I can use this to produce a crop all year round. You know, I, I old timers around here will tell, have told me multiple times. They're like, Hey, if you know, you get a greenhouse going, you can go tomatoes all year. Um, and just for them to be able to see that and be like, wow, like he could, he could grow tomatoes all year, you know, without having to pay to heat a greenhouse. Like it makes sense. I already see it in my life making sense to, to farmers around here. I have a, my electrician lives a couple houses up and he has a 40 acre farm. And, um, you know, he came down to, to look at the mine that I was building. And, uh, he was like, this is genius. This building is going to make your, you know, it's going to fund your farm. You know, him and his wife joke all the time. They, they, uh, they talk about, uh, working to farm. Like they, they work their regular jobs. He owns an electrician business. She owns a screen printing business. And, uh, you know, they take all that money and put it back into their farm because 
there's no money in small farming. And uh, he's like, this is genius. You're, you're going to have this building that's going to be able to provide for your farm. And I just saw like the light come on in his eyes where he was like, wow, this really makes sense. Now, this same guy has 200 and 280 kilowatts of power in a solar field in his back back field. So I could already see the gears turning in his head that instead of selling this power back to the grid that he's been, you know, he got sold on that. If he can take that power and put it back into his farm and make money from it, this opens up a whole new opportunity for him. And I think you're going to see that a lot with more and more farmers as they start to see, Hey, I can take this, I can produce this asset on my own property. And in, in turn, my, my farm is immensely more profitable. Think about any farmer, you know, slim that has hothouses that are paying out of pocket to heat that hothouse. They're relying on the crop that's being grown inside that hothouse to pay for the heat to heat that hothouse. If they could eliminate that overhead, how much more profitable would that make them? How much easier would it make it for them to lay down at night and go to sleep? To lay your head on the pillow and not worry if the crop that you're growing is going to sell to cover the cost that it costs you to grow it? That's huge. It is it's it's going to happen. And it, you made me think of some people that I know here locally, they have a hot house and they grow tomatoes in the winter and everything that you just spelled out for them is, is what they, they're going to leverage. We got to get there. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to tell a story because of what you said, as far as, you know, people out there knowing how to get started, you finding that greenhouse. Um, I did a podcast with uh, Jason Rich. It's at Jason Rich, W-R-I-C-H. And he, he's a rancher in Colorado. And, you know, he, he had limited land space. And when he got into regenerative ranching and farming, grass farming, of course, and he, um, he knew he had to expand. Well, there's a lot of land where he is. He's outside of Crawford, Colorado. He started going to talking to all these owners of, you know, that had land. Some of them widows, maybe, or some of them don't, don't even live there. They just own the land. He said, I want to bring your land back. I want to basically get the grasses back. I want to put my cattle out here so they can basically regenerate your land. And a lot of people didn't kind of understand where he's coming from. And he said, well, I'm going to improve your land. I'm going to, I'm going to fix the fences. I'm going to fix the brush. Your grasses will come back. I'm going to beautify this environment. You know, we're going to put value back into the land. And people are just started saying, heck yeah. And now he's up to 4,000 acres by doing that. And it took him seven years. He started out, I, I believe in, in Jason, excuse me, if I'm wrong on this, I believe he started with something like 400 acres. So by him just driving up into somebody's um, road to the ranch or driveway, whatever it is, you know, he, he has progressed into something that he is, he's, he's pioneering regenerative ranching in his region. That's what everybody has to do. You're going to basically, you're going to pioneer a new train of thought within your region because you got out and said, can I have a greenhouse? Um, we got to be bold from here on moving forward. I am not going to be afraid to ask for help. 
whenever I need the help. I hopefully my value that I'm bringing is going to to compensate that help value to value in a way that both of us see fit that it's going to help us um, because by doing this, I don't have to worry about the institutional world anymore. All the treasures that most of us are looking for are right in front of us. We just don't know how to direct that thought. Your responsibility and my responsibility right now, as I take it and as I own it, is to begin this dialogue in a very productive, in a very way that's not LARPy, in in a way that we're not you know, trying to steal it for egotistical reasons as far as the attention. And I'm pretty excited about that. This conversation alone, me telling you about the conferences, you know, I want to work with you on on this idea to where we can actually, and Lily, of course, Lily's, you know, she's going to be heavily involved as well. But we need to really, you know, put this in a way that we can, we can transcribe it to the mindsets of these farm farmers and these ranchers. Uh, I know that there's a lot of ranchers right now already. Um, there'll be more information coming out this, but you know, they're, they're using blow off of natural gas to basically mine. And then, you know, they're putting that, that value back into their land that was being wasted. Now it's not being wasted. And it's all about the this this philosophy that you you, you pretty much well explained. Um, so I look forward to doing that, and I want you and Jason to have some conversations, if you don't mind reaching out to him. And Jason, you re- you reach out to LC because Jason's a wealth of knowledge. We're going to have one of those conferences up at his ranch, so everybody get ready to go to Crawford, Colorado, like late June or July. And I have a ton of people that want to get into first-generational ranching. It's possible. Jason is a first-generational. He, he came from the coal mines, and he said, I'm going to change my life. And he started being intentional. He started saying, I'm going to improve your land for you. Everybody's like, well, we need to buy land. Buy. Well, yeah, that comes in time. Why don't you go lease some land? Why don't you go improve that land by improving fences and in the grasslands there's always a new approach to to look at all of our issues right now and they're right in front of us absolutely i think too um a point that i want to make too is that this is the beautiful part of where bitcoin comes into all of this right Mm -hmm. um now we've talked before and i was raised you know, very much with the understanding that these things were possible. Um, but the way the world has progressed in the time from when the people who taught me what I know were operating uh, profitably to now, um, I, I know prior to finding Bitcoin, it was very much, you know, oh, I'd like to eat better. But with the amount of money that I have coming in and you know, I'm always on the hamster wheel and it's a rat race. So I just buy whatever is the cheapest thing I can get at the store to make sure that there's a meal on the table every night. And, uh, you know, it's just constantly chasing that next check. Um, you know, Bitcoin comes into that, you know, I'll speak to my experience, right? Cause that's all we really have to give is our experience. So my experience is coming into Bitcoin. I came into Bitcoin, um, you know, I, 
I really wanted to get back to my roots. You know, my roots on either side of my, my bloodlines are cattle ranching. Um, you know, my, my grandfather was a medal winner for raising Black Angus. Uh, and on the other side uh, is dairy farming. Um, but it, it was a how to get there thing. And, uh, you know, coming into the Bitcoin space and being introduced to this thing that helped me preserve my time and, and my money uh, to, to a way where it wasn't being debased out from underneath me. Um, you know, I, I came into Bitcoin, I was 230 pounds, six foot one. Um, you know, I, I came in, I learned some stuff. I got connected with people like you who were talking about nutrition and, you know, eating the, eating the right things. And even though you think you're eating the right thing, it's probably not the right thing. And being able to take a whole fresh look at like what I was putting in, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, in order to get quality out, you need to put quality in. And, uh, you know, I, I sit here now, I'm a, I'm under 200 pounds for the first time in six years. I uh, feel better than I've ever felt. Uh, you know, that all comes from getting back to my roots, getting back to having local sources of food, right? I, I made a post on Twitter the other day and everybody was talking about stacking the dip and stacking the dip. I'm like, you know, <laughs> you guys need to be worried about stacking some local food sources and some seeds to grow your own food along with the dip because what's out there isn't going to get any better. The, the, the iterations every year of what they're releasing for you to eat isn't getting any healthier for you. It's getting cheaper for them to produce. So you need to start looking into things like making yourself sufficient in your surroundings without having to go to a corporate outlet in order to, you know, secure your food supply. That's, that's huge. It's simple and it sounds dumb, but that's huge for me to not have to leave my town to put food on the table is huge. Let me tell you what the, the, the front page of the wall street journey journal today. Okay. And this is stuff I've been talking about since, well, a while (laughs) and it's the perfect timing. This is wall street journal. U S food supply is under pressure from processing plants to store shelves Grocery store shelves have gotten harder to fill as workers calling in sick have added to continuing supply and transportation disruptions. So, of course, they're going to blame it on the the virus, which they created as far as the chaotic structure in which we've had to function and live our lives. And so I've been saying there's going to be a short term food supply shortage to cause a little suffering. So, you know, what you just said is if you're not engineering your own little suffering right now, somebody's going to engineer it for you. It's it's going to come. It's going you're going to have to step up to the plate and take ownership and saying, OK, I'm going to let them engineer my suffering. I'm just going to I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to what's really going on. All the signals that, you know, we all say, especially in the Bitcoin space, they're going to engineer some suffering. So. If you're not getting your food locally, if you're not creating those channels of communications, those relationships with your local food producers and suppliers and processors, if you have that access, you know, you're, you're going to get your suffering engineered for you. And once they engineer a little suffering and they'll cut off 
you know, channels and in ways to where you can have access, they're going to cause a lot of friction to pure animal protein. It's this is what's going to happen. And people can't wrap their heads around this. And they always, of course, follow the wrong distractions and the wrong arguments, you know, with processing right here. They said processing, you know, um, Biden, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he's he commented that he's going after the processing industry. Well, nobody paid attention to the futures. They knew that Biden was going to come out and say that Monday morning, the the futures market, those processing Global processing corporations made millions of dollars off of Biden's statement that came out on Tuesday. People aren't paying attention to what's going on here. And it's something as so simple as I know somebody that can give me some seeds. I know about soil. I've got a, a greenhouse down the street that nobody's used in a long time. And this is not about prepping. This is not about conspiracy. This is about getting pure animal protein and produce. Anything that's pure from the seed up and the source of the seed. It, you know, this is what this is about. And if you think that you're out here and you're eating your hot pockets and you're, you're a damn good Bitcoiner and that's what you're going to rely on to function and well, your, your nutrition is going to be a form of starvation that this this planet has never seen and we're already there with our metabolical bankruptcy and they're going to frame it around this climate change and the carbon credit economy and by making you a bad consumer by your choices if you're not eating their nutritionally void food you're going to be become a bad person one thing that I see happening, and, and I was talking to somebody this morning about it, there's a form of capture that's about to be performed into the regenerative industry of agriculture. And what they're going to do is they're going to come in and they're going to say, we're going to be able to track the soil. We're going to be able to track the moisture of that soil. We're going to be able to track that grass. We're going to be able to track everything there is about that calf. From the moment it's born, we're going to know everything about it. They're going to digitize in a way and create that data in a way that people thinking, oh, my food is safe. Well, <laughs> it's safe for them to be able to control you because they're, and this is where we're going to start moving in 2022. So people can start paying attention. You know, when Al Gore starts talking about regenerative ranching and farming, there's an issue. And it's a form of, and he did that today. So, you know, here we go. And, and these farmers and ranchers don't understand because there are a lot of them, unfortunately, you know, they don't want to, or it's just part of their business. It's, it's something that they have to perform. And it's a form of capture, of course, is, you know, the technology use agreement with Monsanto, which is bare. And this, this is going to be a new form of capture to where you're doing the right things. Maybe the soil is getting better. Maybe it is, you know, but if you screw up, 
as a farmer and rancher and you don't follow the protocols that the data and the algorithms and everything that they've built in to this digital tracking sequencing that's going to happen with our food, then you're a bad rancher and you're a bad farmer. You're not a rancher or farmer anymore. And what happens to that? Well, these billionaires reach down and they acquire your land. It's called major asset reallocation. We've seen it before in history. And if you do not understand what's going on on the technology side, it doesn't matter the ranching that you know. It doesn't matter the tradition, the heritage of knowledge that you bring. You, there's going to be things that you're going to have to be answering to that you're probably are going to be. It's going to be an interesting time of education this year. And so with that being said, you're talking about localization of food. You're in New England, and I would like to to somebody told me the other day we've got to get to New England with one of these conferences, and I, I need to know more about those communities up there and where we could have a conference because I want to really bring Justin, my producer. He he talked about you need to get your food. We don't even get our food within a hundred miles. And so I want to start bringing that into the conversation because you, you you brought that up. Can you tell us a little bit how you're approaching? Because we've talked about it in the past as far as your beef and in your produce. Did you get those cows? Still working on cows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still working on it. Um, yeah. Um, I need to set up um, – a pasture in the back. I, I posted a picture of it and tagged you in it. Um, so I got to set up some fencing in that area. Um, cattle is going to be hard for me. Um, I really want uh, with, I should say after everything you just said with the land that I personally own, cattle is going to be difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll probably have one or two, um, one or two, steers on my property um you know our big plan for spring is uh meat birds we're gonna do uh chickens meat birds uh, i got 60 of those on order um but you know at the same time as i say that across you know not too far from me my buddy rusty runs a uh a grass-fed beef farm um, he's retired air force. He's a fantastic guy. I drilled as well for his cattle. Um, great guy. So he's, he's where I get most of my, uh, most of my beef from, uh, him. And then I have two guys who are twins that I went to high school with that run a butcher shop in the next town over. Um, and I see them a lot, um, for a lot of my beef. As far as produce, I mean, we we do pretty good about growing most of our own produce. I have a potato farm in town. Uh, I can go buy 50 pounds of potatoes for $5 in potato season. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's a good grab. Um, you know, for, for me, it's really about uh, making the most of the land that I have available to me right now. I do have a friend in town who has a couple hundred acres. Um, I talked to my wife the other day, actually about seeing if I can get a couple of pastures off of him to do some cattle, uh, either this year or next year. 
Um, he does, he has an alpaca farm right now on his property. Uh, but he has a bunch of pastures that he doesn't use. He's an older gentleman, uh, probably late sixties. I've been a friend of the family for a long, long time. So, uh, you know, probably going to talk to him about seeing if I can, you know, lease some pastures from him. I know I, I was talking about growing, uh, man, probably two years ago, I was talking about growing industrial hemp, mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago with him. And he said, Hey, if, you know, come to find out there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of red tape around that in my state, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but he said, you know, when I was looking at that, he's like, listen, if you don't, you know, if you need an acre or two or five, let me know. I've got plenty of area. You can plant whatever you need to plant. Um, so the, that I say that to say that, you know, the resources are available if you're willing to go out and get them. Uh, you know, if you spend your time sitting on your couch waiting for somebody to knock on your door and say, please come plant my field or please come ranch my land, it's not going to happen. <laughs> or it's very rare that it's going to happen. So you need to, you know, self-motivate to get out there and create this for yourself because the way the system is designed is the system is designed to make you dependent on it. Uh, you know, in, in far more ways than one, you know, me and my wife were talking about it the other day that through the whole scamdemic, uh, my wife has worked from home. Um, now she could have gone on an unemployment, but that's not us. Now she had a friend of hers go on unemployment and, uh, you know, she was really upset the other night when she came to me and she was like, listen, you know, it's, it's bullshit. Like I, I worked the whole time. All of this has been going on and I'm penalized for working right in, in the form of having to, to pay our taxes on the money that she's making. And her friend who's been on unemployment since this thing started, they just sent her a letter and sent her a check for all the taxes that she paid out of out of her unemployment to keep all of the taxes that she was supposed to pay. She hasn't even been out of her house to produce anything for the economy. How backwards is this system? You know, and I say that to prove that point that this system is not set up to encourage you to become more self-sufficient. This system is set up to encourage you to become more dependent on the state and the powers that be. They want that. They want you to come to them and say, can I please have, you know, my food rations? Can I please have my government check? And, you know, I'll be very open about it because I'm sure there's somebody that'll say it because I've had people harass me about it before. Yes, me and my family, we get food stamps. Okay, let's let's put that out there. Uh, But. You know, I'm also a big believer in if the money printer is going burn, you're not taking your piece of it. You're a fool. <laughs> uh, leverage, they're leverage, not, leverage, leverage. Yeah, if they're debasing my money out from underneath me and they're printing it and giving it to everybody else. I'm going to stand on some moral high ground and say, no, I don't want the money that you're stealing from me anyway. Get the hell out of here. But, you know, that being said, this the system at large is ma- is built in a way to make you a serf. Of course. Your goal should be to create, and you don't necessarily have to live in that all the time, right? Like I'm not here to say 
that the only thing my family consumes is local beef. And, you know, 90% of what we consume is local. Right. And like you talked about creating your own misery when the hard times come and they are coming, my family will have to decide to eat chicken. We have in the freezer that we raised instead of calling in a pizza on Friday night. Cause it's easier. Right. That's the, that's the suffering I'm designing for myself. Now that has shifted from the perspective of, well, I guess my only option is to buy three pallets of ramen. And if it all goes to shit, me and my family will eat ramen for the rest of our lives. Right. That, that's where this, this getting out and finding your local sources can change things for you is that the, like you said, the suffering you design, the suffering I design can be having to eat a T-bone that's been in the freezer and, or, uh, you know, roast a chicken that's been in the freezer instead of eating craft macaroni and chemicals. And it's so simple. And it, it is something that is, it, you know, I started this when I started my writing, you know, I, I kind of framed it as like, we're going to create a new lifestyle here. They're trying to, they're trying to steal your lifestyle that you've known and you were pretty comfortable with, or maybe you weren't, but it's an opportunity time. And I say this, I try to say this in every podcast and I want people to understand that this is the time to understand what I'm saying within mass prohibition, you always can be part of mass innovation. It's up to you to understand where the innovation is going, which where you need to point your compass. I think what how you and I are approaching our lifestyles with our families, with our, you know, our social well-being, everything, financial well-being, you know, the compass needs to be pointed in this direction because for you and I, for me, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's based on the truth as what is at hand. And I, I think I posted the other day, I was like, whenever you get a quarter or a half a cow and it's in your freezer, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night. You're going to go open that door to that freezer and look at that because that is peace of mind. That is, that is, that is a work well done. And you don't have to be part of all these other distractions. Once you have that moment of clarity of like, Hey, I don't have to be stressed. I just empowered myself and I, I met some people. I changed our lifestyle too. I took, I took the kids out. They got to see a cow for the first time or a goat or, you know, a lamb. Um, by me saying that I, it wasn't intentionally to set you up, but you lost a goat, a goat this past <laughs> week. <laughs> tell, we did. Tell unfortunately. Me it, tell me about that. Uh, uh, one thing I want to I want to say real quick before that is, okay. um, I think an important part to finding your local sources and becoming more independent in your own food production is turn around and giving back to the community. Um, you know, it's a value for value thing, right? So, real quick, the way that we do that here on our homestead is we grow a mass amount of produce uh, during growing season. Um, and when harvest season comes around, we can what we can, uh, we vacuum seal and freeze what we can, but we have a little stand that we built with the kids, uh, that goes out by the road and everything we don't use because when, you know, when harvest season hits for tomatoes, if you're growing two dozen tomato plants, you're not going to be able to can and eat everything you grow. I don't care who you are. You're not. 
So uh, we have a little stand we put out by the road and we put a little sign on it that says, take what you need and give what you can. And we were pleasantly surprised. Uh, you know, we made $150 on that stand last year. Now, had we put prices on things, could we make more money? Sure. But at the same time, we're trying to create this thing where there are people who are local who can't afford to go to the store and buy quote unquote organic. You know, we grow, uh, one of the things we specialize in on our homestead is tomatoes. Actually, we grow, uh, 20 different varieties of tomatoes. There's a, an old lady in town, um, who's been doing it for decades and she has 175 varieties that she puts out every year. Um, you know, we grow all kinds of different weird tomatoes, purple tomatoes and brown tomatoes and all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but you know, to say, I say that to say there's people who are local who would love to be able to expand their palate a little bit and eat these things that they can't necessarily get at their local store. Uh, but they can't afford it. Right. Especially with the times we're in, they can't afford to go to the store and spend $5 on five tomatoes. That's insanity. So for us to be able to set up a thing with stuff that's going to go to waste anyway, we can set it up out there and say, Hey, you know, come by. If you got $2 in your ashtray, grab a dozen tomatoes and throw $2 in the can. So, it, you know, and this is the second year we've done it. We did $50 the first year and $150 the second year. So it's like, you know, we have these people who keep coming by and they like to come by and say, Oh, you know, I wonder what they have this week. And, uh, you know, it's them expanding their local food sourcing without even realizing that's what they're doing. Um, you know, once you get a taste, you and I both know, right. Once you get a taste of a beefsteak tomato that's grown in ground that's local to you compared to the one that you buy at stop and shop or whatever your local supermarket is, Walmart will say the one from Walmart tastes like a dish sponge. And the one that was grown local to you tastes like a tomato. Once you taste that, you can't untaste that. So, uh, you know, I think it's really important to give back to the community. Um, you know, when you're, when you're producing something local and you have extra, um, it's important to give that stuff back to the community, man. But, uh, yeah. So the goat, <laughs> thanks for, pointing uh, that out. Yeah. thanks for pointing that out though. I mean, from the very beginning, we said, start living like your grandparents lived. Well, not, our grandparents lived that way. So take a look into what Elsie just said right there. Uh, thanks for sharing that. That's a good point. We have a saying in my town, if, uh, if you don't have a friend that comes to your house and gives you summer squash and zucchini, you don't have friends. <laughs> that, stuff, that stuff grows like wildfire. It up does, here. man. We had like a hundred freaking squash this year off of one damn plant. I was like, dang, <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't can it. I've got plenty. I can, I've got it. Every, yeah. We had a lot of <laughs> squash. So you were, you were correct, sir. Um, so yeah, we lost, uh, we lost bit, which was by, uh, one of the, I bought a set of twin goats, um, two years ago, two sisters. And, uh, we lost one of them yesterday or the day before. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher the name of this, but I believe it's called Lasteria. I believe that's what it's called. Um, anyway, it's yeah, a, it is. yeah, it's like a germ that they can get from, the soil or from 
uh, silage that hasn't been decomposed correctly. You know, there's a bunch of sources they can get it from. Um, but once they get it, it's like 24 to 48 hours. They're dead. Um, you know, she was, she had one eye that was sunken in. She was drifting off to one side. She was walking in circles. Um, now <laughs> I'm still getting my wife used to, um, farm life. Uh, she has a very pet, um, human animal, emotional connection to the animals that we have. Uh, so she takes it pretty hard when things like this happen. Uh, you know, we just not maybe last month or so we lost a rabbit and, uh, she went, we lost the rabbit. Now, now I raise, I raise my boys to be farm boys, right? My sons are raised the way that I was raised. So my four-year-old, um, he loves it. He wears his muck boots that go up to his hips and, you know, he's out there and he's helping and, you know, he helped me build the shelters for the goats. And, uh, when the rabbit passed anyway, <laughs> um, you know, my wife was going on all day with me. How am I going to tell him he's going to be so upset? And, uh, <laughs> she, uh, she approached him at the dinner table and she said, uh, no, my, my name, my son's name is Gunner. Um, she said, Gunner, you know, Bunny's dead. And he looked right at her and he said, I know mom. And she said, well, you know, I, I'm sorry you're sad. And he goes, I'm not sad. I'm sorry. You're sad, mom. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, he, he understands it's, it's, it's a form. You know, she was like blown away. And you know, the same thing happened with this goat, uh, the goat passed and he was just, yeah. Hold okay. On, hold on a sec. That's a, that for you guys that don't know real quick, that's a glowing moment for dad there. So well done. <laughs> If, you, if you're confused, that's what LC was saying. He was very proud of Gunner. Way to go, Gunner. Way to go, LC. Super proud. <laughs> that's a good story. So, okay, we're back to the goat. Yeah, so the we uh, we lost Bit uh, yesterday. Um, li Listeria, I believe is what it's called. I could be off. Um, no, but it is Listeria. And what you do is they bring it in, you know, through soil, stuff like you said. It, it's bacteria. The processing plants really have to battle that. You have to have different washrooms. So it is something that can hit fast. So that's kind of just a real quick, you know, understanding of what it is. So she got sick and, um, you know, the story kind of, comes full circle, right? So one of the local connections that I've made uh, is a friend of mine who works at a, a place a couple towns over called Meatworks. And they're a processing plant, uh, a small local processing plant, but a processing plant. And uh, he sells sheep and goat on the side. Uh, around here, there is uh, a certain ethnicity of people that enjoy consuming goats so he has makes pretty decent, decent living for himself on the side um you know selling goats so uh i was able to you know now now i'm a i'm a farm boy right so <laughs> you know i saw my old man on friday and i said oh we got another goat going down and my old man being an old time type guy right he says i don't understand why i have the damn things anyway you're not getting anything from them 
<laughs> so <laughs> he's like, well, well you got to go home and put it down. I said, how am I going to put it down? You got my black powder. And he said, just go home and hit it in the head with a sledgehammer. I said, my wife will lose her mind if I go home and hit it in the head with a sledgehammer. That's called marriage counseling. (laughs) I actually have a a good story about the sledgehammer thing, too, but we'll get to that. Uh, So I came home and I was able to call my friend that I made this local connection with. Right. And he came down and he picked the goat up and took the goat with him and he put the goat down for us. Now that, you know, he, he tried to give her a couple rounds of antibiotics over 24 hours to see if he could snap her out of it, but he didn't, he couldn't, um, that, that particular infection's extremely fast moving. Um, and he, you know, he put her, put her down for us. So it's, it's these connections that you have that you don't, that you think are one thing, but they can end up being other things, right? Cause he's my guy that I'll go to when I have that cattle in my yard and that cattle's got to get slaughtered, he's the guy that I'm going to call, right? Because I would rather put some money in his pocket. He has a small process and operation at his house that he does his own stuff with, right? He's very well professionally trained at the um, processing plant that he works at. So I can go to him and say, hey, you know, I got got one head that's got to get done. Can you do it for me? Uh, and it keeps that local thing going, right? I like to I like to help guys that want to put some money in their own pocket. Um, so yeah, so we we, we lost the goat. <laughs> uh, the wife is pretty upset about the goat going. She actually messaged me while we've been on this call and said, uh, unfortunately, we just found out that she was pregnant. Um, when when uh, she got sick, when the when the goat got sick, the goat was pregnant. Apparently, we just found out from the guy that put her down. So that sucks, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's farm life. It is. You and I both know that it comes with the territory, you know, animals get sick and animals die. And, you know, she, she thought I was very cold for saying things like, you know, she's like, Oh, we can call a vet. And I'm like, honey, you know, we spent $200 on the goat and we've put, I don't know how much money into the goat. But, you know, now you want to rack up a $2,000 bill for from all the research and the guys that I know are telling me the goat's got 48 hours. You know, you have to look at it from an economical standpoint as a farmer. Like, you put the goat down, you buy another one. It's It reminds me of whenever I – not to – the the vase is already broken and there's a parable there and a lot of people might have heard of that parable but going into stewards of of an animal's life and and how you're going to leverage it and what you're going to use it for everything whenever you begin the process of that relationship with any any animal you know the the vase is already broken i'll save that parable for a different time because it's it's pretty it, it's a it's a it's a good meaning and it, it's a good life lesson of thought so um one thing that you bring up and we've been working really hard with in the beef initiative is creating awareness on processing centers across you know state of texas of course but across the nation uh and you have a local processor there a lot of people don't even know what that is or even how they would even understand looking at the building or what they do and working with justin my local producer he passed his inspection as i said earlier 
what was really cool about the story and the work that we've put into processing centers and how processing of animals are about to change, especially in the state of Texas, Justin, he's going to harvest about 30 animals a week. And by doing that, these animals, they're being extremely well cared for. No stress whatsoever as far as through the harvesting and, and processing processes that he has built into. The One of the head inspectors for the state of state of Texas came to his inspection and gave a small speech. And they said, this is the model for the rest of the state of Texas. And Justin and I have been working, you know, a half a year together And what we've been messaging is there's going to be a, a, a small avatar processing facility in every county across the state of Texas. Well, he just had the the head, one of the head inspectors say, you're going to be the model ship for this. So that's that's a big thing for you to have a local processor as you do in the networking that you've performed. I want everybody in my county to reach out and everybody across the United States to Justin because he is he's pioneering something that's it's it's about to get bigger. We're bringing this intelligence to everybody. We're going to have a way that if you want to open up a processing center in the state of Texas, you're going to come to the beef initiative and we're going to consult you, advise you. And guess what? We have the intelligence. We know all the rules, all the regulations, every little hoop that the government makes you step through. Well, Justin knows those laws and regulations, and he's bringing that in intelligence into the beef initiative. We're going to know basically more than the inspectors know. He had to go through a processing or a process of inspection to where if he didn't know more than the separate types of rules and regulations and inspectors that he had to go through, if he didn't know those, he would have never got inspected. So we're going to streamline that. And it's going to lead into a situation that you just explained. And that's what we used to do. That's how our grandparents lived. And we're bringing that back. And I, I'm, I didn't even know the full story, but I'm glad you kind of brought it there. Yeah. And it's funny you say that, that, you know, we're bringing it back because, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to, uh, and this is going to sound funny, but I spent a lot of time talking to the oldest farmers that I can find in my area. Um, I want to know how they did it and how it's changed over the years. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have told me the same thing that, uh, you know, my great grandfather, um, had a rather large farm in town. Uh, if I ever hit the lottery or Bitcoin goes to a gazillion dollars, I'm going to buy that farm again. And, uh, that, that's the, I live on one side of my bloodlines land right now. And I would love to own that. That's it's a beautiful piece. And uh, unfortunately, it belongs to somebody from New Jersey right now that comes to it like twice a year, which disgusts me because it's gorgeous farmland. Um, but, you know, he used to tell me, you know, the, the, the guy that I talked about leasing land off of tells me all the time. He's like, I remember going up there with my father and uh, that's the way this town was. You know, harvest season would come and there may have been. You know, people were doing hay. There may have been one baler in, in the whole town. Time would come and all the farmers would get together on one farm and go help that guy cut and bale his hay. 
and then somebody else would have that time come and everybody would go to that guy's farm and help him. Like that, that's the way that it was. And, uh, it was very much community and very much, you know, not reliant on each other, but very willing to help because they knew if they had a problem or if something ran short in the winter that they could go knock on somebody else's door and say, Hey, look, we're short on this. Is there any way you can help us out? And, uh, you know, my, uh, my great grandparents, I remember, you know, very, very early memory of my great grandmother and, uh, you know, in that particular farmhouse and, uh, they killed, they had killed a pig. And, um, I remember seeing her, I don't know if I've told you this story. I may have, but I remember seeing her in the kitchen and they had the pigs strung up in the kitchen and they had a five gallon bucket underneath it, catching the blood. And she was stirring the blood in the five gallon bucket with her finger and tasting it to see if the blood was just right. Cause they used to make blood pudding. Um, that was really big up here. It was blood pudding. I don't know if you guys have that. I've heard but, of it. Uh, definitely. Yeah. So they used to make blood pudding and blood sausage. They never wasted anything, anything. Um, you know, and it was just seeing that and looking back on that and realizing like they utilized everything that they had at their, at their disposal. You know, they, they couldn't get in the car and drive to Walmart and get a frozen pizza for dinner. You know, we've talked about it before. The, the work that they put in during grow season was the difference between you and your family not going hungry in the winter. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a different time and different people. And, uh, you know, that, that other story that I have about my great grandfather, uh, I just, uh, real quick, um, you know, he, he was a very rugged man to put it lightly. Uh, he, he was built different. And, uh, I remember being there real, real young and, um, he didn't speak very good English. Uh, he was Portuguese. He was from the Azores. Um, you know, he came over here and he created this farm and, you know, he cleared 50 acres of trees by hand by himself <laughs> to create this homestead for his family. And, uh, either way, you know, my, they, they used to have this bull on the farm, right? And the bull had a, you know what a rock bar is? Yes. Right. Yeah, Iron yeah. bar people oh, used to pry rocks. You bet. So he, they had a they had a rock bar jammed in the ground, and the, the bull was tied to the rock bar. The bull would eat a circle. They'd take the rock bar up and move it, and the bull would eat another circle, right? Simple, quote-unquote engineering. I guess we can be a very generous word for it. Um, so my grandmother went out to, uh, to bring the bull some water, and uh, she walked out with the pail, and the bull got her with his horn. He gored her and uh, actually punctured one of her lungs. And uh, <laughs> I, I will never forget being in awe of this man as he got up very calmly from the kitchen table and he walked out into the field and he pulled that rock bar out of the ground and he hit that cow dead between its eyes with that rock bar and dropped it dead right where it was standing. And that was the end of the bull. That was it. Very, very self-sufficient. There was no phone call made, nothing. He just went outside. He pulled that rock bar out of the ground. And in one swing, he killed that bull. And I, it, it, 
it blew my mind. And, uh, you know, my grandmother went and she, you know, he, it was a different time. He drove her to the hospital. He dropped her off at the front door and said, call me when they need me to pick you up. <laughs> like, you know, he had a farm to run. Right. He had things that he had to do to take care of his family. Right. You know, a lot of people get it twisted and think that something like that is cold. You know, he did the same thing when my grand when my grandfather was born and my great uncles were born. You know, when when my great grandmother was pregnant, he would drive her to the hospital if she went to the hospital to give birth. He would drive her there and drop her off and say, call me when you're ready to come home, because he had animals that needed taken care of. He had land that had to be watched after. You know, my my great uncle uh, tells me still he's still alive, actually. Um I see him every once in a while. The man's a phenomenal hunter and a phenomenal gar uh I don't know if you want to call him a gardener or a farmer. And uh you know the the front field at the original family farm is probably 200 yards from the roadside to the front of the house. And uh <laughs> he'll tell me and tell my kids all the time when we drive by there a point and say, you know, I used to weed two rows, one down to the, one from the house up to the road and one from the road back down to the house. And I got a nickel for every time I did that. Now you can imagine on your hands and knees in August, hand weeding 200 yards down and 200 yards back for a nickel. But that was, that was the way it was. You contributed to the family, you contributed to the farm. And that's, that's what I try to perpetuate to my boys. And, you know, that's, that's a big part of why we do that little, you know, that little stand out by the road. You know, it's a way for me to show my boys that every day when I have you out there watering the garden and I have you out there weeding and, you know, we're taking care of things and then we're harvesting and we're jarring and we're canning and all these things that we're doing. That that work pays off not only in the nutrition that you're providing for the family, but your work is paying off by, you know, you took the time to build this stand. Now you're putting the stuff out on the stand. You're going out there every day to check the vegetables and make sure there's no nothing rotten out there. It's all proof of work. You do this work in return. People are giving you value for the value you've created. There you go. It's you're engineering your own suffering. So somebody else doesn't engineer it for you. Whenever you engineer that suffering, you're, you're, you're pretty based you you've taken care of business and you can move on and you know your grandfather <laughs> did you witness that with the old uh <laughs> no i did i did actually you did you were there okay we uh we, we just people, got a puppy people do not understand okay the force required the the full poundage of of, of everything the inertia the the transfer of energy that happens at that moment whenever he did that that, that i i can picture that in my head so he was a a mountain of a man my we we just got a puppy and uh my my old man came over. Now my old man is not my old man's a stereotypical old man, right? There is no I love yous. There is no he wasn't a hugger or he he's just that's not him. And uh he came over and the dog was all jumping up on him. He kinda looks at my son. He he's a funny guy, but he has a very dry sense of humor. And uh he looks at my son and 
He says, you know, when I was a little boy, my dad told me to go out and feed our dog that he had got, which was uh, a, uh, a German shepherd. They had gotten a German shepherd. His, his, my father's grandfather. So my great grandfather had told him to go out and feed the dog. And he took a pan of food because back in the day when you fed a dog, I know this is crazy to everybody, but you weren't going to Petco to buy the most expensive dog food, dog gut, whatever was left over scraps, the rotten milk from the fridge or whatever there was. So he took the pan to go feed the dog and he opened up the door and the dog jumped and knocked him over. And, uh, he said his grandfather came off the the seat he was sitting at at the dinner table and he grabbed the cast iron frying pan and he walloped that dog right upside the head. He said, I tell you, scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, but that dog never jumped again. That dog, <laughs> that dog was the most docile dog you ever saw. Yeah. But that's, that was, you know, and I'm not advocating animal abuse or anything like that, but that was the world they lived in. They, they established this dominance as, you know, the, the male figure in the house was the alpha of everything. He was the alpha of all the animals on the farm. He was the alpha in his house. And, you know, they understood this, this guy's in charge. I want to bring that up right now because the word alpha has been hijacked, of course, you know, and it, it, so bad. in the perception of alpha in, in, the, in 2022 is, is just laughable and <laughs> how many people have, you know, totally destroyed it. And basically, you know, the alpha of all the animals, that's the lead point right there. The animals are the, how you're surviving. And if you're not in control of those animals at all times in the way that you know how to control them and steward them and lead them and, you know, honor them, everything, then you do you really have in in that in that time in history? Did you really have a life? Did you really have a family structure? No, you didn't. It, it was that was the center of the universe. And you better take care of business. Well, how do we do that now? You know, how do we how do we transfer that reflection of history and in way of life in a way that is productive now that's not hijacked and that has authority that is is based on respect and love, you know, and that's that's where they, you know, the social engineering that we've gone through, you know, people's oh, alpha, oh, animal. No, this is this is having agency in life. This is being very intentional. And, you know, that's that's how you and I always kind of speak to everything that we're trying to accomplish. Um, that, that's a good story. I want to, I want to share something because we're getting up on two hours and I, you, uh, you know, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I, uh, I, I was telling my father about, you know, you and, you know, digging wells and how you do it, how you, you know, low time preference, your, your engineering of how you facilitate drilling wells is old school drilling wells. You know, you use the impact of that rod to go down there and bust that rock, basically. And you've talked about that, you know, before. Well, he told me it's an old family story from, um, from my, I called her Mama, and in she lived out there where you know all we came from that part of Texas. There's a ranch out there. There's a historical ranch called the Matador, and the Matador Ranch used to be huge, and you had a lot of people in different communities that, of course, worked on the ranch whenever it was first being established. And like I say, this is an old story. Well, I had a, a family, a family member. And he, he actually was, um, 
he got a job with the Matador Ranch. Well, his job was to dig wells. <laughs> and these these ranchers back then, they were vast. And this is this is up on the Llano Estacado of Texas. I mean, you can go for a hundred miles, you know, and it, it it's it's something to see. Well, he starts, you know understanding what his job is going to be and he's going to identify where to dig wells you know he was a water guy and he had a team and they would dig dig a well because you had cattle spread out throughout this ranch and you were you were leveraging water source so your cattle could survive it was a different form of ranching well he 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 wanted to know kind of the area and they said well you you point your little compass there to the northwest and one time you ran uh you run into somebody that's uh from the xit ranch then you know you've gone far, but you can keep on digging because those are pretty good old boys. <laughs> the story is that they didn't they didn't see him for about two years because that's about a, I'd say the the whole that's two hundred miles of ranching back in the day. You know how they were connected. The XIT at one point was the biggest ranch, one of the biggest ranches in in the United States. And it, it was a funny story because he had job security and he got very good at digging wells and it started on a Texas ranch. So that made me think of you. Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an old trade and, uh, you know, it's, it's actually funny you say that somebody had posted a, uh, the hell are those called pole on Twitter, uh, you know, what's the most important thing to your Citadel? Uh, you know, and they listed like, uh, having cattle, uh, having a gas well. And I commented underneath it. I said, an artesian well is the most important thing you can have without water. All of your plans are null and void. And I say that to say to a lot of people, if you're thinking about moving or getting somewhere where you're more sovereign you need to be able to turn on your faucet and know that that water is not coming from a municipal supply because without water you can't do anything you can't raise animals you can't grow crops you can't keep your family alive without clean potable water you're screwed you know that's like i said how i built that relationship with the with a grass-fed beef farmer that I'm friends with. You know, he's got 150 head of cattle. You know, I he, his well was going dry. I put a well in for him. The well I put in for him is making 50 gallons a minute. That's more water than he's ever going to need. You know, he was able to take that well that I put in for him and put in a central pump house in the middle of his property and push water out to all these different watering holes for his cattle. That's invaluable to him to be able to know that he has that water source for his animals. So, I mean, you know, that's, I think that's something that's not talked about enough. Um, you're right. And something that's not addressed enough. No, you're right. And we need to get that framed in correctly because it's time to start. And I say that because water is going to become part of this discussion and everything I'm doing as well. Water's going to be, people aren't, like you said, people aren't talking about water across the board. Um, I think it's it's vulnerable to, to be manipulated here moving forward. There's a lot of things that are going on within the water supplies that people are not aware of. There's a lot of filtration 
discussions and trademarks and new uh, releases and and patents that are coming down and it all has to do with water. It's going to get very interesting. But we, yeah, if if you're going to talk Citadel, you you need to start from under the ground first and then worry about everything else. And who better to do Absolutely. that? You know, you're the perfect person to to be able to lead that you know you and i will will we'll, uh we'll expand that conversation out there you know on bitcoin twitter i think it is time to to really to to look at it closer and you're the expert there so jack of all trades master and none there, there you go well on that on that well note, i think we're uh we're getting close what i want people to that haven't heard you or follow you or anything let us know what you know the best place just to just to tie tie into you and you know as far as your podcast and your channel yep uh the podcast is on twitter at the bc pleb uh which is the blue collar plebcast uh, I'm on Twitter at LC Hoddle two. I'm also on Telegram at LC underscore Hoddle. So my DMs are always open. My messages are always open. Uh, you know, if you have any questions about anything, uh, or if you're just looking, you know, if you have a question about something you don't think I might know about, I probably know somebody who does. So feel free to reach out, and I'm happy to pass along sources. LC, thank you so much. Um, I really respect you. Uh, I enjoy the friendship that we've developed and uh, to where it's going. And, um, you know, you and I are going to be talking again really soon. Have a great day. Here at the Beef Initiative, we encourage all your ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing. <laughs>